We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Fellas, listen up. All you ever ask for is an opportunity. You got it today. Where else would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. Be aggressive. You have literally nothing to lose. You're a borderline football team. If I don't keep laughing about this stuff, my teeth are going to turn around and devour my brain. The Bills make me want to just blown away by our fans and I know our players are uh, I've never heard players talk so positively about their fans because we know with the especially in the social media world fans can be very passionate and there can be a lot of negative energy you know I get emotional because I felt bad for them and I feel <clears throat> I feel really bad that we didn't win that game you know you go back to Nashville Miami and Houston like Nashville that game that was like a bowl game like it was, their team does something good, you hear that side of the state. Our team does something good. I mean, it truly was like a neutral field. And to have Bill's Mafia, Bill's Nation support us that way all season long, uh, it's unmatched. You know what, I, I can't hit that register like like you do. Uh, Chris here, producer of the Rockpile Report. To my left, Drew Gear, host of the Rock Pile. He still can't hit those high registers. Uh, that was Brandon Bean from his final postseason interview at BuffaloBills.com talking about our fan base, the best in the NFL. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, I am happy to be here tonight. I'm finally over this crippling illness. Bronchitis is no joke. I, it's what, what it's been. I'm, I'm on day 10. Day 10, Chris? Yes. I've had enough. I talked to you on Tuesday, and you sounded horrible. But because yeah. I called your wife and talked to you as well, she was very happy that you had no voice, <laughs> as, 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 as our, anyone should be. As are most people, my wife, my coworkers. Oh, folks, welcome to the season wrap-up edition of the Rock Pal Report podcast. It's an interesting one because for the first time in what must be three months, we're not drinking beer. No beer here. It's fantastic. We do have a bottle of Bundaberg on the table. <laughs> That'll make some of our Australian listeners smile. Bundaberg rum. For those of you who don't understand what Bundaberg is, it's a delicacy. You know, you, you Google it and go on YouTube and watch some of the commercials. You can tell the quality of the spirit. I would tell from you the, to, from the refined nature of the commercials. I would tell you to watch like the early '90s <laughs> commercials. Those are better. Oh, Chris. I, I gotta ask, you do this every you do this every season. You stop drinking beer immediately after the end of the season. Yeah. I what just, is it that's so attractive about drinking liquor over be, beer? Beer is just filling. I can't 
Like I can hit six or seven beers and I'm like tapped As everyone out. saw it. Yeah. You, you got heckled pretty good for your poor performances yeah, But with, with liquor, I can I can drink as much liquor as you drink beer. <laughs> that's that's a terrifying prospect, sir. I don't know. We're giving we're taking it for a spin tonight. Although I will say this. Chris, I love a good beer. And we're gonna you're gonna have to fish me a couple out of that fridge right there because we have to make a toast here. Folks, lost in the aftermath of the team's loss to Houston is something equally saddening, I think. Lorenzo Alexander, linebacker for the Buffalo Bills, has officially retired from the NFL. Chris, it's crazy to think that just less than five years ago, he showed up here for training camp, a career journeyman, a player on his fourth team who had started the NFL, started off his, his path to football is an undrafted 315-pound defensive tackle. And then he spent his career jumping from one position to another, including tight end and linebacker, just in an effort to try to get on the field. So it came to a shock to a, is a shock to a lot of people to see him replace Manny Lawson at the end of the 20, what was it, that 2015 training camp? Yeah, 2015, 2016, right when we started 2016, because 2015, Manny Lawson came to the team when Rex Ryan came to town. And Manny Lawson had, by all accounts, a great season. I mean, I was looking forward to year two of Manny Lawson. And then, I I don't know what happened, Chris. I I, I went into that season wondering how the hell this no-name journeyman linebacker with no real track record of success, or at least sustained success, could manage to pull something like that off. Of all the things that I've been wrong about, Chris, doing this podcast, and as you never let me forget, there's a lot of them. Being wrong about Lorenzo Alexander might be one of my favorites. It might be my favorite thing that I've ever been incorrect about. <sighs> Lorenzo Alexander, he's been something special to watch. And not just on the field, where he earned his first Pro Bowl appearance in a Bills uniform but off the field in the community. I mean, when it comes to charity work, there's probably not anyone who outworks Lorenzo Alexander. I mean, he's got his Aces Foundation, which does a lot of work both here in Buffalo and in his hometown of Oakland. Uh, just engaging kids, putting together youth events, leadership training type stuff. He does a lot. He's a th- Chris, that's what's made him a three-time Walter Payton Man of the Year candidate for Buffalo. Then in the locker room, you could make an argument that Alexander was probably one of the most crucial pieces of this entire rebuild. When Sean McDermott showed up here in Buffalo, he and Brandon Bean inherited, Chris, a roster that was the epitome of mediocre. Would you agree with me on that? Yes. Okay. And they had to undergo the process of breaking down and rebuilding that roster. And in doing that, it's entirely possible, Chris. You've watched teams go through it where you lose the room in a sense. You know, especially if your players, doesn't matter what age, start to worry about their place in the grand scheme of things. <clears throat> I mean, it's hard to go amp yourself up to run through a brick wall when you're worried about whether or not you actually are going to be here in a year. Whether or not you're going to be out on your ass in the street looking for work. Right? Correct. You you can question, start to question whether it is you even want to be a part of what it is these these new people are trying to build. Luckily for Sean McDermott, he inherited a player like Lorenzo Alexander. At his website for the for his Aces charity, there's an there's two articles, <clears throat> which I'm going to link in tonight's show. That I I take five minutes and go read them. 
The first one he wrote was called Using Pencil, Not Pen, and it articulated his struggles when he was released from his longtime job in Washington. And for the first time, he was forced to question his place in the league. He's got another one, entitled Dog Days, where he describes who after 11 years of training camps, again, just sitting in his dorm room, reflecting back on how out of sync his life and career were when he was a young man, and how he got himself to where he was just as a respected leader of just, I don't know, just just men, other men rally around him. And just reflecting back on how he got to that point. He became for this team one of our quote-unquote culture carriers, which is a term that I learned from our Swedish listener, Thomas Bronmir, I believe is how you pronounce it. He and I were talking about Kyle Williams. These culture carriers, they're individuals in the franchise who represent the physical and psychological manifestations of what their team wants to be, the people that they represent. And in that way, Lorenzo possessed the exact traits McDermott was trying to build in his players. And he was unselfish enough. Chris, we sat here on this podcast and laughed about how, how poorly Joe Flacco treated Lamar Jackson after he was drafted to the, to the, uh, the Ravens. Yeah, the, uh, the famous, I think you tweeted the picture out uh, from the playoff game last year where you had Lamar Jackson, Joe Flacco, Robert Griffin III all sitting next to each other. And Joe Flacco leaning forward so Lamar and Robert can talk to each other about what to do next on the next drive. No one was happier watching Lamar Jackson fail that day than Joe Flacco. Because to his own, he said it, I'm not here to help groom some quarterback. I'm not here for this kid. He's trying to take my job. I'm here to be the quarterback of the Baltimore Ravens. Lorenzo Lorenzo Alexander, on the other hand, has been the antithesis of that. I mean, he, Chris, he was unselfish enough to work with the youth around him, to want to take on that role as caretaker of this football team and bring the youth on our roster along with him. He played his part to a T, especially in the locker room and the practices. He made his bones just not just representing a steady veteran presence in the field, but in teaching these young guys how to be professionals how to prepare themselves physically and mentally, and how to conduct themselves off the field. Just like the Walter Payton Man of the Year candidacy, Lorenzo spent his time here under McDermott as a three-time team captain. And because of just his humble nature, he used that platform not to glorify himself, but to teach those young guys what it would take to get to that level. You want to be thought of like this? Here's what you got to do. You, you gotta you gotta talk the talk, but you gotta be able to walk it too. And I'm gonna show you how to do that. It, it, Chris, some he wanted them to at some point learn from his road, not to take opportunities for granted. Learn how to work so hard, outwork everybody around you, because that's gonna be the thing that makes you revered. That's gonna be the thing that makes you a better player. It's gonna be the thing that gets you paid. It's gonna be the thing that makes this NFL experience worth doing. I have to imagine that was the part of the game that he probably relished the most. And it wasn't hard to picture him, uh, picture that as he listened to him just speaking really frankly about his retirement after the Bills lost at Energy Stadium two weeks ago. It's been great uh, to be a part of something special. Um, I think we have started um, 
to set this organization on a track to where it can be a perennial playoff team and a contender every single year. Um, it's a lot of great young men in that, in that uh, building and women, and hopefully I've uh, impacted their lives in a positive way um, through the leadership and the way I show up every day. And uh, it's been really cool to be a part of that, especially helping young men mature the men off the field. You know, that's where my passion is. We have a lot of young guys that have grown up in a short period of time, and it's really been cool to be a part of that, seeing people get married, have kids, and really start transitioning from being a boy, young man, into a grown man. And so that's been a real special part of my time here in Buffalo. That is Lorenzo Alexander from his post-game press conference against Houston over on buffalobills.com. Chris, he went out of his way to talk about how much he enjoyed watching these young guys grow up. I mean, I recall reading a quote in which Lorenzo was asked about his reaction to Trey Edmonds calling an impromptu but fiery players-only meeting before our game against Miami this season. And he said it warmed him up knowing that he had found his voice amongst his peers. You can make the argument that that doesn't happen if he doesn't get to share a locker room with a player like Lorenzo Alexander. If what he says, what he's talking about here in terms of what he believes that this team is capable of comes to fruition, and the youth on this team really does mature to a point that we're really considered consistent contenders. There's going to be a mountain of credit heaped on the doorsteps of Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott. And rightfully so. I mean, Chris, they built this thing. But, but we can't ever forget that we'll also owe a giant debt of gratitude to number 57. Because it'll be because we had someone like him to help do the grunt work of laying the foundation, the very foundation that all of this success would have been built on, that it's even possible. These young kids, I do not believe that the youth on this roster comes along the way that they did, the way that they have. The fact that we've got so many young, upstanding guys on our team. The fact that they've all bought into the culture here as quickly as they have. None of this happens if you don't have guys like the Lorenzo Alexanders of the world. So, I, I think we should all as fans, be incredibly grateful for the time that Lorenzo Alexander gave us. And with that, Chris, I want you to fill your hand, pop a top. Got a loose head in hand. To Lorenzo. Happy trails, sir. That's right. Hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. It's Lorenzo Alexander right there. Hardworking player. Oh, right. And so with that, folks, the purpose of tonight's show our 2019 Rock Powell Report season recap. Now, I know nobody wants to sit here and listen to Chris and I go over and over and over and rehash all of the bullshit that we've bored you all with for weeks. We weeks. could move on to 2020 and talk about hand size. Oh, I'll claw your eyes out. It's hand size season. Oh, my God. Hand size it's, it's season. It's about to be fist fight season in this kitchen. The 2019 season has come to an end. We like to take a look back, but I'm not going to bore you people to death with a rehash of everything that we've already spent every single week talking about. Instead, I feel like it would be I feel like it's worthwhile to get the opinion of somebody who lived it. And so with that, we bring in a very special guest. He don't like almonds. And he loves Sweet Baby Ray's. I'd like to put some barbecue sauce on that button. <laughs> he doesn't swear. Funky, but loving. Buffalo Bills long snapper, Reed Ferguson. Do the talk. 
totally miss you. I really fucking miss you. Chris, Chris, you uncultured swine. You're supposed to salute when there's a captain on deck. Ah, well, you know. <laughs> Reed, how are you doing tonight, brother? Guys, I'm doing great. Uh, recovering, but I'm doing great. Recovering from doing a little LASIK, huh? That's right. Yeah, I got it done this morning. Uh, I can already see it's, uh, it's a little blurry, but I've been trying to sleep it off. So, uh, yeah, just trying to get that laser vision so those snaps can be perfect again. <laughs> well, you know what's going to be great is, uh, I guess, when you come back in, uh, in I guess, mid-April and you hang out with me and Drew, you will have a uh, better sense of vision to see that Drew is a real piece of shit. <laughs> it's the worst. Nobody you, needs to have. No one needs better eyesight. Looking at me, I once dated a girl who was. You complete, can be blind and know that. <laughs> I once dated a girl who was blind in one eye, and I'll tell you, I, I spent a lot of time trying to hang on out, trying to hang out on her left side. <laughs> oh Mister <my> <laughs> Ferguson, how are you? Fresh off an, a trip. To a trip to Louisiana to watch your alma mater, LSU, bring home the national title. You got to tell me what was that like? That was uh, absolutely incredible. Um, thoroughly enjoyed. Uh, thoroughly enjoyed that. Erica um, and I went down on Sunday, and we came back Tuesday. Um, obviously, got to go to the game on Monday, but. Uh, no, it was it was unbelievable. I'd never been to a uh, I'd never been to a championship game before, and uh, just being able to, to do that and especially see my brother play uh, was was incredible. And for them to win it was the icing on top. I mean, your your father has to be incredibly proud. He's got a son. He's got one son who's a professional long snapper. He's got another son who not only long snapped for the national title winning team, but who just has he's got the senior bowl in front of him. You're talking about the draft. You guys might be the first family of long snappers in the NFL. <laughs> it's probably safe to say. Um, yeah, probably safe to say that. So, Which would be extremely cool. So as I was making fun of Chris for here a moment ago, Reed Ferguson, Buffalo Bills captain. I want to talk to you about that for a second. We haven't talked to you since the offseason. When the announcement came, we were all excited. I mean, we reached out. I mean, it was just it was an incredible thing to see your name on that list. Were you surprised by the nomination when it came at the end of camp? Um, I will say... Yeah, I mean, it did take me a little bit by surprise, but um, I'll say that it was something that I, you know, that I've been working towards, um, and it's not something that really that uh, that you can that you campaign for as much. You know, it, it, it's player voted, so um, it's you know, it, it's very it was a very incredible honor for me to uh, to be able to be named a, a team captain. Um, but I mean, yeah. It, it, in in four years, uh, you know, this being my fourth year, it's uh, you know, it was it was exciting for me to be able to to hold that honor um, this early in my career. 
So besides just going out there for the coin toss every week, what did being a captain of an NFL football team mean to you personally? Um, I, you know, part of, on top of what I just what I kind of said, you know, being mm-hmm. being uh, you know the fact that it was peer voted, uh, and and having those guys believe in me, I think it was a chance for me to continue to build uh, the leadership aspects of myself off, uh, you know, on the football field, obviously, but off the field in the locker room as well. Um, I mean, how, was, does it, how, how does something not, how does something like that change the way you go about business? Let's say in the middle of a game, like how how does that just change the way you approach you approach football? Uh, I think it's I think a lot of it is probably um, a, you know when you get that captain patch put on, you know it's it's you get the you get the that automatic respect from your peers. Uh, from the guys that you go to work with and go to war with on Sundays um, every week. But uh, I think, it, it, you know, from, from a personal aspect, I think it allowed me to be a little bit more vocal, um, you know, especially, in the, you know, obviously in the special teams side of things because that's where I'm involved uh, hundred you know pretty much all my time. But... Um, I think just being more vocal, being able to reach out to guys, being able to uh, be, you know, one of those main guys that, that players might come to for questions, uh, you know, whatever it might be, uh, special teams related. But uh, And then also just continuing to, to develop um, and, and being a guy that young players can come to, rookies or first or second year guys that, um, uh, you know, I've been around the block a couple times you know, four seasons in. So, uh, you know, I, I know how a lot of a lot of it works. I, you know, I'm obviously continuing to learn. I don't have all the answers. But as far as uh, non-football things go, you know, saving your money, how to do some of that stuff, um, that, that's, another, that's another big part of, of the impact that I'm trying to make. See, now that, that, that sounds really familiar, Reed, because we just got done kind of saying a, our, our farewell to Lorenzo Alexander, the recently retired Lorenzo Alexander. Now, one of the things that I look at when I take a look at everybody who's currently wearing a C on their uniform, everybody who had one on their on their jersey this season, you can see that there's a significant youth movement happening in terms of the leadership group. I mean, there's yourself, Josh, Tremaine, Doc. And not to take anything away from you guys, because it's clearly your hard work and the respect of your peers that earned you that that award. Do you feel like guys like Lorenzo played a role in the maturation of their football team during their time here? Do I think Lorenzo played a role in the maturation? Yes. Yeah, no doubt. Especially, you know, I think, um, you know, going back to the joke earlier, I think you'd have to be blind to see that. But um, uh, I think from, I mean, Lorenzo's one of those guys top down, uh, you know, he, he kind of had he kind of put his hand on just about every aspect of this organization on and off the field. He he pretty much had an impact on and over these last four years that he was on the team. It's, that, that's that's pretty clear and obvious. And uh, I don't think we could have picked um, a better guy uh, to, to kind of fill that fill that role for for us these last couple of years. 
man, it's it, he. I think he's had a correct, incredible career here as a Bill, and I, I I'm looking forward to the young guys coming up underneath him. The guys, you know, as as Kyle Williams has aged out, as Lorenzo Alexander has aged out. It seems like the pieces are in place on this football team to step into those leadership roles, and I, I, I'm, I'm, I, a lot of fans are really excited about that, and I'm, I'm happy to hear that you guys feel the same. Now, the whole purpose of tonight's show is our 2019 season recap, <laughs> the year in review. If you had one word to describe the 2019 season, what would it be? Oh, that is a good one. Um, personally, uh, I would say unsatisfied. Um, I think we left a lot on the table, and I don't want that to be, you know, that I say unsatisfied. That's kind. Of, I don't want this season to come with a negative connotation. But um, I think we left a lot uh, to be desired, and I think the players know that. But I think also we um, exceeded a lot of the ex- expectations that uh, the outside, you know, forces um, put on us. So I think. Uh, Kind of, you know, kind of a two two sided deal. You know, it's it's un, we're, we were unsatisfied. Um, you know, I think from the standpoint of you look at the playoff game, we left some plays on the field, and and we could have been playing last weekend um, in Kansas City. But uh, from from a big picture view and and where we're going, I think we are headed in the right direction, and I think. Um, Bean and McDermott have set us up for uh, a big offseason and uh, a, a lot of winning in the foreseeable future. Well, that's one of those things. I mean, highs and lows are a part of every single NFL season. And I know that it, from a fan perspective, I'm not alone when I say that this season's highs made the lows so much easier to swallow. But the way it ended, it, it had to hurt both as a fan and as, and as a player. And nobody likes the idea of asking an athlete, how they feel about a loss because if you if you if you're a competitor at any level <clears throat> it's a foregone conclusion that you're not thrilled about losing now i mean when you think about it though i mean we talked about it on the podcast before the Houston playoff game only eight guys on this roster had two or more games of playoff experience to their credit going into that so as one of the leaders in the team, you're talking about how you feel like you guys are set up for more winning and more success. Do you feel like that experience, not just of the postseason preparation, you know, the game day, this the pressure of what a winner-go-home atmosphere brings, but also of a loss like that, a game that it's right there for the taking and you guys just, just you know, it's a game of inches. The opportunities are everywhere. So it's not like you can say this thing or that thing cost you the game. But a game that you lose like that, do you do you think that the young guys on the team who who are just getting their first taste of playoff experience are going to take that and build off of it the way we've heard you talk about it the way Josh Allen's talked about it? Do you think that's the majority of the roster? Absolutely, yeah. I think the the guys, the young guys that we have on this team, are mature enough to realize that that um, to, to use use that playoff game as a, as an experienced builder and um, take the positives from it, uh, leave the negatives and, um, and or, or learn, I guess, learn from the negatives, uh, build on that and know that that's, that's not going to be our last playoff game that we play uh, for this organization. So with that said, 
you, you can't you can't lie to me and tell me that this one this season wasn't wildly different from the last two that you've been a part of here. No, <laughs> this one this one was different. I'd argue from a fan perspective, almost better than the 2017 season. Whereas the 2017 season had these dramatic lulls to them where everything was questioned. Nobody knew what the future looked like. 2019, that was a t- you guys were a team that went out there, controlled your own destiny. And when things were left to chance, you guys more often than not answered the bell. I mean, as a player, that has to feel pretty good, right? Yeah, I would say, yeah, I mean, it, you, you kind of explained it uh, to a T. You know, that 17 team had a, had a lot of ups and downs. This team is kind of, we, we played, you know, barring the Philadelphia game, we kind of, I mean, we were pretty much in every game that we played, right? So, um, you know, it, it, I think that, that goes to show the progress, the progress that we've made um, and and how well the coaches have done uh, by preparing us uh, to go out there and, and compete every week in and week out. I mean, I'm just excited. Coming off something like this, like the way the season ended, and hearing the things that you hear from Josh, from Doc, from Edmonds, from you, from you know, even from Lorenzo Alexander talking about this team, even today on Pat McAfee's uh, radio show, <laughs> he's... <laughs> It's funny when you hear Lorenzo talk about the Buffalo Bills and he still says we. He still says, ah, yeah. we have a lot of talent. You can tell how much the guy loved this this process, the, 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 the growth that took place in this building. And he talks about us becoming consistent contenders. Well, I walk away from this, and there's a quote from Helen Keller, which now that you're half-blind in one eye, <clears throat> maybe you can appreciate a little bit. <laughs> Character can't be developed in ease and quiet. Only, th- only through experience of trial and suffering can the soul be strengthened, ambition expired, inspired, and success achieved. I feel like this is one of those things. I know that there's a lot of fans, maybe even listening to this podcast right now, who take that Houston loss to heart. They, f- I-, I promise you guys, if just based on the way that these players seem like they're made up, the way you guys just come off, the, the attitudes that we've seen all season long, this is a growth point. This isn't loss for the sake of loss. This is loss for the sake of growth. And I, I, I've, I just, just Josh's reaction alone. I, I'm, re, we're, it's left those of us who can see that really excited about what 2020 is going to bring for you guys. Now, with that said, this is our 2019 season recap. So I've got a couple quick hit questions for you. <clears throat> First one. This is going to be called Reed Ferguson's Best of 2019. The coolest, oh, <laughs> the coolest away stadium that you got to play in this season. Uh, coolest away stadium. Um, I mean, I'd say Houston. Houston was one just because it was a playoff game. That was a pretty awesome um, atmosphere. Uh, you know what? I'm gonna say I'm gonna save myself the trouble. I'm gonna look up our schedule real quick. So just give me a second. Go for it. Just so I can have a re- just hey. so I can have a refresher. Sure. This is a podcast. We can do whatever yeah. the hell we want here. I would I would have <laughs> thought that you would have just came out the gate guns blazing on that question and just said Dallas Thanksgiving. Yeah, Dallas. I, I would say. Well, see, and I, I really don't want to speak bad on on Dallas, but. Oh, listen, lot, do it. My they, middle those, name, my those middle name some is of the Dallas. most pretentious. 
fans and people I've ever been around. So they're, I mean, they're real stuck up. So I think that the meaning of that game, winning like we did, meant a lot. But the game, the stadium itself, I, I've been, I've played there. I played there twice when I was at LSU, and it's, uh, I mean, it's just a really, it's a really nice stadium, but it's not really cool. Um, I'd say, well, let me, I'll, I'll say this. I'll say. Uh, from an away game perspective, I'll say uh, Tennessee because basically uh, half the stadium was Bills fans, so that was awesome. Um, and then Pittsburgh. Okay, Pittsburgh I get to, on was Sunday that, night. Was that your Pittsburgh first? on Sunday night was probably my favorite away game of the season. I was going to say that was probably your. That's got to be your first. I mean, I remember the last time the Bills played on a Sunday night, or maybe that was Monday Night Football. You were at my house. <laughs> you were at my house watching the game yeah. with me. Yeah, Seattle. <laughs> Seattle game. We all know how you that learned, went. Yeah, you learned a lot about Drew at that game. I probably could have predicted you would have said Tennessee because I know you got a bunch of family in Tennessee. So, this so up next. <clears throat> in your best of 2019, the most memorable game. I feel like you just kind of answered that. Sunday Night Football in Heinz Stadium. You guys go to Heinz Field and the place is rocking in the third quarter. Their team has their team has the lead. Everything's great for them, but you guys seem just as confident as they did. I mean, that game was wild. Yeah. Would you say yeah, that that's probably neat. your most memorable game of the year? Yeah, and I think um, the fact you know how the game went. You know, I mean, obviously it was low scoring, like seventeen to ten, I think. But um, two two things stick out to me about that game. One, when they played Renegade in the fourth quarter, and then the next play. Um, you know, the whole stadium jumping. The next play, Josh completes a 40-yard bomb to John John Brown, and then the whole stadium just goes quiet. <laughs> uh, and then, um, obviously, winning that game, we clinched the playoff spot, so that, that makes it a little special on the back end. Oh, that's, that's, that has to be such a gratifying experience to be able to sit there on the sideline and look around somebody else's stadium and just hear yeah. that quiet. Just, <laughs> just, yeah, and just, I think... And I think being, you know, playing that game uh, with it being, you know, Sunday Night Football is, is quote unquote uh, the game of the week, uh, so to speak. You know, everybody's watching. You know, they set. They came out after the game. You know, the next week or whatever, and said they set. Uh, you know, viewership records and all this kind of stuff. I mean, people. People wanted to tune in to see what we were all about, and I feel like they got a good a good glimpse of it that night. Um, and uh, yeah, so that was that was it was just good to, good to shut up a lot of those people that uh, didn't didn't know what we were all about. They, That's awesome. They do, a little, they do some Google searching instead of <laughs> uh, actually actually diving in and, and doing some research. Oh, that's awesome! So for you this season. Your most memorable play. Your most memorable play of the 2019 season is the long snapper of the Buffalo Bills. Wow, that's a good one. Um, oh, man. Is it Mike Tolbert taking the ball away from you in a pile? <laughs> no, nah, I, well, I, I mean, one that, stuck out, one that stuck out or that immediately sticks out is um, the, first, the first punt in the Dallas game. Um, I can't remember the distance or anything. I think it may have been 60-plus. Uh, but Bojo, I think we were we were a little backed up, maybe 25-yard, 30-yard line. 
and um, it, it was the first quarter. I think we went three and out. We had just gotten the ball, went three and out. Then we were trying to – they had us backed up a little bit, and he drills uh, – I mean, he drills a punt, perfect spiral that just skyrockets, and it bounces on their, their five-yard line and, and bounces straight out of bounds. And I think that, that you, could, you could kind of see the game turn from that point on, even though it was so early. Uh, you know, they, they marched down and scored on their first drive. We got the ball back, three and out, big punt, and then it was kind of flipped from then on. So I think that kind of um, set the tone for the rest of the game from, from our perspective, which, uh, you know, you look at that Dallas game, it kind of uh, set us up for for the few for the couple wins we got on, down the stretch in the, in later in the season. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that was huge for momentum. And then your biggest personal achievement. I mean, everybody comes into everybody who has a job has goals. Every athlete has goals, things they want to achieve in a season. What was your biggest personal achievement this year, 2019? Uh, good question. Um, I think I think it was just continuing to improve, and, and I would say the captain thing comes into play. Um, you know, being being named a team captain was. I mean, that's kind of one of the highest honors is, that you can have uh, in, in a team sport is to have your peers vote you as as one of the leaders of the team. So that was um, that, that was probably one of my one of my biggest uh, achievements probably of the season. Dude, you wouldn't believe the way my phone exploded with text messages from people when the news broke. Because they were just like, oh, my God, Reed Ferguson is a team captain. You know that guy. I was like, well, I, I, of course I know that guy. But it's it was awesome to see it and to know that – because I know you. You're, I know you to be one of the better human beings I've ever met. To know how hard you work and to know how much this means to you, to see you rewarded for that like that, it was – it it was ah, – <laughs> I'm not going to get all misty out here, but it was – it, it was special, man, and I'm, I'm, we can't we can't say how happy we are for you. Yeah, come on, it's not like we're talking to Marcel I appreciate Darius. The kind words. So with that, 2019 seasons in the mirror. We're all on to our summers, our off seasons. You've got a lot of plans. You're a traveling man, but I also know that you are involved in a lot of different things. First and foremost, before we let you go tonight, one of the things we got to talk to you about is this JDRF Charities. So right now you have a donation page set up for JDRF Charities. Can you talk a little bit about what that is and just about you know how, how you came to be involved with them? Yeah, so JDRF, um, for those people that are listening that, don't, uh, that may not know, it stands for Juvenile Diabetes Research Fund, and it's basically um, the, the main thing they focus on is type 1 diabetes, which is the, uh, the uncurable uh, type. Type 2, you can... Um, you can you can handle uh, fix, by fixing your diet, and, and there's some medicine you can take, you know, to, to do that. But type one um, is is uncurable at the moment, and they're obviously trying to find a cure. But uh, my brother has my, my brother got uh, type one. Uh, he got diagnosed, I believe, when he was in sixth grade, uh, eight or nine years ago. So that's something that he's been dealing with. Uh, it, for for a good part of his lifetime so far but uh you know and i say he's been 
know, air quotes, dealing with it, but he's been um, crushing it, honestly. I mean, he uses it to his full advantage. He doesn't let it hinder anything that he does. I mean, he, he just finished up four great years at LSU playing college football, and he's got type 1 diabetes. So, I mean, he's, he's clearly learned to deal with it in such a way that it doesn't hinder his athletic ability. Um, but I, I, I've tried to uh, be, um, you know, a voice. Uh, and use my platform that I have being, uh, you know, being a player at the NFL level uh, where I can reach people, reach a, reach a, a large amount of people uh, by supporting a cause like this. And um, I got involved with the Western New York chapter of JDRF uh, about a year and a half ago. And Lorenzo was, was the main uh, leader for that. And now that he's gone, I've kind of taken over uh, is the main contact um, between them and, and the team. So uh, I'll be doing a lot of their fundraising stuff um, for the foreseeable future. And they just set up a link uh, so you can kind of read the story uh, between myself and my brother. And you can uh, feel free to donate uh, if you so choose. But uh, it's, it's, it just know that the money's going to a great place. And uh, – so, yeah, that, that's pretty much the gist of it. Well, not only that, guys, but JDRF Charities here in Buffalo are throwing a gala event on January 25th, uh, just next Saturday. I'm going to get all, right. the, I'm getting all the information together from their contact person over there. We're, we're going to have ticket information for you. We're going to have, you know, <laughs> Reed Ferguson is raffling off a flag football. Is it a flag football camp? Is it? What uh, it's, it's a flag football game. Um and it'll be at the indoor facility, uh, at, yeah, at the Bills facility uh, here in Orchard Park. So uh, I, I think uh, Bohork, Corey, the punter, Bohorquez is going to join me that day. Maybe uh, Hauschka can find some time uh, away from his Pilates studio to come out <laughs> and, uh, jo- and, and join us. But, uh, yeah, it'll be, it, you know, hanging out for a couple hours. A uh, little meet and greet, little flag football game, just kind of playing around for a little bit. So uh, it'll be fun. Guys, so we're going to have all that information. We're going to be tweeting it out this week. Make sure you come back and check out our Twitter, at Report, And I'm going to put some information in the write-up to tonight's show about it. So for you, Mr. Ferguson, when you're done with all your charity work and your football work, big plans for this offseason. What do you got going on? I mean, I know that you're a traveling man, and I know that, I mean, Lord knows you love your football you know, just That's as right. much as the next guy. What do you have on the docket for your off season? Yeah, so a uh, couple couple things. Um, I'll be leave, I'll, I'll be headed back down uh, next week. Uh, I'm gonna Blake. Uh, my brother got chosen to play in the Senior Bowl, so I'll be going down to Mobile uh, for that next Saturday. I think the 25th, um, same day as the JDRF Gala, but. Um, so be going down to watch him watch him do that, and then uh, we're going to go to Houston with Erica for uh, for a little bit, kind of enjoy enjoy some time off, and then I'll come come on back to Atlanta and get get back uh, training with Blake, try to get him ready for um, all his upcoming draft stuff that he's got this spring. So I'm excited to kind of take him under my wing for a second time and and do that. <laughs> uh, you know, I taught him as much as I could his freshman year at LSU when I was there, when we spent that season together. So I'm going to teach him as much as I can about uh, doing, doing 
being a pro now, um, so he can be set it, set himself up uh, to be to be successful if he you know wherever he gets his shot. Um, and then uh, one one big trip planned. Uh, Erica and I are going to go to Israel um, for about a week and a half. We're going to go on. It's a little bit of a study trip. Um, not 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 so much a mission trip because we're not doing any serving, but it's a, it's more of a study trip that uh, a guy. There's one guy. His name is Brad Gray, and he leads uh, these trips for about ten days. Uh, he leads them twice a year, uh, one in the spring and one in the fall. So, uh, be going. Uh, really excited to do that. Uh, that'll be uh, late late February, I believe, early March, and then. Um, but a lot of a couple of NFL guys are going to go on that. It's kind of geared towards uh, they they kind of blocked out a trip uh, for NFL guys. So uh, we're ex- excited to kind of get uh, get rolling and, and and go to Israel because we've been waiting about two years on it. So oh wow, been looking forward to it for a long time. That's awesome, man. And you, you yeah, you find a way to get around, Mr. Ferguson. <laughs> really that's, a, that's, that's what I love. And then going back to the soccer deal I, I mean the, the the mls season starts up so i've you know I, every year i feel like i mentioned that i've got you know uh, atlanta united tickets so um obviously try to hit as many of those home games as i can before we got a report back up here for uh spring ocas and stuff so man that's the plan keeping you busy keeping you busy in the season the off Always. season your calendar's packed why don't you tell everybody who's listening where they can follow your adventures there on the internet there, uh, the old Twitter machine, the Instagram. Oh yeah. Um, Twitter, you can follow, uh, snapflow 69, uh, real easy, or you can just search my name, Reed Ferguson, and I'm sure it'll pop up. Uh, and then Instagram is Reed Ferguson, all one word. Uh, I'm sure I'll be posting my fair share of pictures from all of our adventures on there. For those of you who uh, like dogs. Yeah, what's your dog's Instagram? His dog has an Instagram, and i got to tell you, I've, I, I've, I've kind of babysat Buck, and the dog grew on me almost immediately. I mean, he's... He's a, he's a babe. He's a dude. Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, so Buck, his name's Buck. He's a golden doodle. He's well over a year old. Um, you can follow him at that dude, Buck, D-O-O-D. Uh, and then... Try to. He'll be coming along for. He won't be coming to Israel, but he'll be coming along for some of the some of the uh, road trip adventures. But uh, well, I'll tell you what, sir. If anybody's earned some time off, it's you. So why don't you go enjoy that? Enjoy. Tell Erica we said hi, and dude, we can't wait to have you back. Come next off season, catch up on all your adventures, and find out what you guys have going on for 2020. All right, brother. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you having me on. You can go on Twitter and follow Reed Ferguson at Snapflow69. Or again, if you use the Instagram, he's at Reed Ferguson, all one word. And then his dog has an Instagram. (laughs) I'm not even going to justify giving out his handle. His dog's Instagram has more followers, Chris, than our Instagram that you manage. Yeah, well, it's more. Our Instagram is more about me and. My uh, the amount of times I spent at comedy clubs, <laughs> which is an insane amount. 
So, Chris, as we're wrapping up our final thoughts in the 2019 season, as you walk away from this year, how do you feel? What are your thoughts of the season as a whole and just heading into 2020? Uh, I think we're in, a, we're, in a, we're in a good place to go to, to 2020. I mean, I think I made the comparison during the season that, you know, we might bend the Bears from last year. You know, second-year quarterback, somewhat of an easy schedule. You know, we were in a lot of games, as as Reed said. I think next year is going to be a huge step forward, at seeing that we got to play the AFC and NFC West. Challenging conferences. There's yes. a lot going to be laid out in front of us. But I feel like this team proved this year that it can hang. I mean, you think of anything, that's the thing that I take away from this. This season was one hell of a ride. I've said this on multiple shows. The 2019 Bills provided every fan out there with a welcome anxiety, a pressure unfamiliar to a lot of longtime fans. Fans that haven't felt that way in years, that they were watching a team that had all the tools to accomplish something special if they could ever just Put it all together. This year, we watched the Buffalo Bills take a step closer to that. We watched a team that won so many of the close games that they used to lose. Chris, that Sunday night football game. The opponent, you're you're up by seven. The opponent has the ball and there's three minutes left. You don't feel safe with that lead. Never. And yet, they pulled that game out. By victimizing that poor quarterback. They survived so many shifts in momentum that would have absolutely crushed over a decade's worth of other Bills teams. In their losses, they traded punches with some of the NFL's best. And they shined in so many tough moments, late in games, where I think a lot of their predecessors might have choked. When it comes to music, Chris, I'm a pretty eclectic guy. I mean, my wedding song was country which I grew up on. <laughs> My favorite songs to play in the guitar are blues and classic rock. And I've seen Slayer, Pantera, and Slipknot play live a combined total of 14 times. My tastes are varied, very much dependent on my mood. The other night after our podcast, I'm driving home. We're talking about the playoff loss. <sighs> and I'm, I'm, I've got the jukebox in my truck on shuffle. It's just going through everything that's on, that I just have on this USB drive. And an obscure song comes on that I haven't heard in a while. Simple plan? <laughs> and it stopped and made me think of the Buffalo Bills. Warren Zevon's Piano Fighter. Now, considering there's no power chords or shitty haircuts involved with Warren Zevon, I'm going to assume, Chris, that you've never heard of him. No, never heard of him. <laughs> it's a... It's a song about growth, the growth of a man learning to play the piano in hopes of being, quote-unquote, great, and just the various plateaus he encounters. And the complexity of the score kind of builds behind the lyrics and changes, as does the fate of the guy involved. And it really got me thinking, because the flow of the song makes me, it reminds me of the way this Buffalo Bills team has grown. In the beginning, we were just this really unrefined product, but there was a diligence. There was effort. There was effort without really direction with the way we went about things. Then after a complete rebuild, you saw this team take another step forward for themselves, refining their craft, rounding out the rough edges. 
And so, with that, like the character in Zevon's masterpiece, hopefully this Bills team can build off this and continue crescendoing to a point that they too can end up strung out in the back of a limousine somewhere. <laughs> hopefully celebrating a Lombardi trophy here in Western New York. Chris, the way this season played out, I believe that we are watching growth. We're seeing it. You're watching a football team that reveres its head coach. Correct? Yes. You're watching a team that's been built with a bunch of young leaders, groomed by some of the most consummate professionals that I, that I think this franchise has ever seen. I take... I, everyone loves the Super Bowl era guys, but those were egos. You know what I didn't get out of Kyle Williams and Lorenzo Alexander? Were egos. We didn't get that. Instead, what we got was hard work, effort, and a willingness to teach the guys behind him. Kind of knowing, hey, my efforts today won't pay off for me. But maybe tomorrow, these young guys who I show the path, they might be the way. Those might be the, the generation of players that brings this team back. And you're seeing it play out. So with that said, Chris, I walk away from this looking at this season with everything in front of us, we prove that competitive football in Western New York is not a pipe dream. It's not. The term Billsy died. I could see that, yeah. And hopefully, if these young players who are kind of picking up the mantle of what it is to be Buffalo Bills behind these pros who have come before them, if they can make good on their promise and their, their, the level of talent that we see that they have, if they could ever just find some consistency, mix that with Bean's roster building skills and McDermott's coaching, Chris, I don't even know what our limit might be. You watched us go toe-to-toe with some of the NFL's best this year. The Patriots, twice. The Ravens, what, we took them to the final possession. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, as Reed mentioned, Philadelphia. It's the only game that we were never in. It's weird. Usually we're blown out a couple times a year. Things are different. This season marked change for this franchise, I feel like. And I feel good in moving forward now that we've now that we've just talked it all out. I feel really good about this, Chris. And so with that, I think that we can, <laughs> as we did for Reed, we're going to run down our own 2019 season superlatives. We've got some awards to give out. <clears throat> Chris, fill your glass. I got a Bundy and Coke. <laughs> Bundy and Coke. There we go, sir. As we run down the 2019 Rock Pile Report superlatives, we're going to start with most memorable tailgate and t- most memorable tailgates and tailgate moments. Chris, what what were a couple of the things that you remember most from this year tailgating? Uh, let's see, Mario bruising the shit out of my arm, <laughs> throwing lasers. <laughs> Mar- Chris said he was an athlete. Yeah, Mario, Mario was a starting was a starting uh, Division three quarterback. I had bruises all up and down my right forearm because <laughs> I, I refuse to I refuse to take just pitch and catch in the in the tailgate lot. I refuse to just take those in the stomach. I took them square in the bicep in the forearm, and now I'm a stronger man because of it. <laughs> First of all, for me, I, I think one of them would be all of just the international guests that came out to visit us. Chris, 
People came to hang out at our tailgate from thousands and thousands of miles away. Yeah. I mean, there, there was Mike and Rowan from Australia, Jay from Calgary, Hugo from Portugal for both the Cincy and the New England game. Fuck, he slept in the parking lot for the New England game just so he could be there at sunup with us. That's insane. I think one of my favorite moments, though, was Paul from England. He's a brewer. He talked about it. He's a brewer. And he liked Seagram's. He liked it. <laughs> Careful, you don't want to lose your voice. Chris, that's the most improbable thing that I've ever heard. Someone who understands the making of booze and said, you know what, this Seagram's, this isn't bad. It's light. It's fruity. I wanted, I, I was like, can we get in writing? Just can, can we study your brain for science after you? <laughs> <laughs> oh. But now one of the biggest highlights for me this year was just having my father come to not one, but two games and tailgates with us. Chris, that was... It was fun until he left the first one because security came because of your <laughs> goddamn mouth. I think I think he left because of his hip. Do you remember the way he was limping, <laughs> limping out of the game after the? No, when security came over to talk to you, any <laughs> any other memory is washed away. I just remember security coming to you with your blue card, yellow card, whatever so, it is. So, to me, that was one of the biggest things. From my t- uh, Chris, how many years have I been doing this? My father finally made it out to a game or two, and he got to see a, he got to see what we as Bills fans have seen for years in that Eagles game, and he stuck it out with us the entire time. It was I, I loved every second of it. I can't, I'm looking forward to more. <sighs> it, from what we saw on the field, Chris, the best and worst plays of 2019. We've got some candidates here for worst play of the season. I'm going to run them down for you. The Jordan Poyer missed assignment versus Baltimore for a touchdown. Do you remember that? Yes, I do. Oh. It was Hayden Hurst, wide open. Oh, my God. From where we sat, we got to watch him just break it open. And you're like, oh, no. The second he comes uncovered, your hands go to your head because you're like, oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. He found him. And you know that they're not going to catch him. Yeah, I mean, that's what you get for sitting in section 200. You get like kind of the almost the all 22. You have the all 22 angle. You get the view and you we see, oh, why is nobody covering Hayden Hurst? The Hauschka missed field goal against Cleveland. Chris, I might have chased everyone out of my house with profanity after that one. Yeah, that's a game you'd like to have back. (laughs) Not me. Everyone left immediately. Because I was just so violently profane. Oh, God. The Burkhead touchdown in New England. Chris, he it should have been a tackle for a loss at the three-yard line. I would easily put this as the worst play of the year for me because that was the go-ahead winning touchdown for that game. We make that stop. We... I don't know. They've got a touchdown there. So what if we held them to a field goal and then we get the ball for the final drive of that game? We win that game. We're playing our starters week 17 for a chance at the division. And Miami beat New England that final week. So things could have been different based on that play. That's why, for me, it's the worst. And the final candidate, the missed sack on Deshaun Watson in overtime versus Houston. 
Chris, I don't even want to talk about that. I, it's still too fresh. It's still too fresh for me. On the, on the flip side, we have the best play of the year candidates. First of all, Trey White's game-sealing pick versus Cincy. I remember that like it was yesterday. Hugo, Hugo Carmona on my right side. We're standing next to each other. We're watching the Bengals work their way down the field towards our end zone, thinking to ourselves, shit, they're going to score and win this game because that's what the that's what the Bills do, right? They look good. They look good against the against an 0-2 team. They're going to blow this. That's a game that where the term Billsy probably started to die was that game. And on the final throw of the game, Micah Hyde tips it, just tips the ball away from a receiver. Trey White comes screaming in and makes a diving interception to close the game out. Hugo is a man who is only, he traveled all the way from Portugal to Buffalo, New York to watch the game with us. He's a man who stands only 5'6", five, 5'7", five, yeah. maybe 155, 160 pounds. He jumped on me. He tackled me. He group hugged all of us. With the ferocity of what you would have thought was an NFL defensive lineman. Chris, I've never seen... Yeah, he was hanging on you. What's that character that Chris Kattan played in SNL <laughs> where he hung on hung on other cast members? I've never That's seen... That's what Hugo was. I've never, been, I've never felt a hit like that, Chris. I played football. He T-form tackled me into the rest of you guys and somehow group hugged all of us. That's how excited he was. The place was electric. Chris, before that play, I'd never heard the stadium so loud. Yeah, it was, I remember that. It was like we won the Super Bowl, which is a little weird. I mean, it, it's just Cincinnati. Because, Chris, those are the games that we normally can't pull off. Yeah, that's where the term Billsy started to die. Next on the list, John Brown's touched 53-yard touchdown against the New England Patriots. Chris, that's the play that literally almost started World War III between my neighbor and I. Oh, yeah, your new neighbor. My new neighbor. Not drunk Todd from over the fence. Not drunk Todd from over the fence. That guy's great. My new neighbor, who decided that at 7.30, what is it, 7.30 at night? Something like that. Decided to come outside and tell me that I should that Todd and I should probably try to keep it down. He was, he was promptly told what was what and where he could go. <laughs> yeah, move. <laughs> oh, but Chris... It was one of the it was one of those plays that Josh Allen makes that makes you start thinking, if this kid could ever find his consistency, even when we're down, even when we're out, even when it looks like there isn't any hope, he's so talented that he can if you give him an inch, he'll take a mile. John Brown beat Gilmore on the only Chris, the only time he beat him all day. Oh yeah. He, and Josh he, Allen made him pay for it. Yeah, he cut him inside as soon as Gilmore turned them hips. It was it, it was a hell of a play. Then there's Dawson Knox's catch and run against Cincinnati. Chris, you want to talk about a play that makes you want to just flex on people. Yeah, that was that's the quintessential play for flexing. God. That catch and run by Dawson Knox. I mean, that was a that was a huge momentum shifter in our advantage at that point. Yeah. And then the Allen first down run against Dallas. That, for, for, you want to talk about a momentum shifter, Chris? I don't think that there was a bigger one. 
I don't think that I think that that play not only <laughs> changed the momentum of that game on Thanksgiving, it changed the momentum of our season. I'd argue you're correct. I think that when you look at that play right there, Josh Allen digging deep, he digs into the pile knowing the ball is loose. He's not losing that football. So instead, he digs it out. And then after he's dug it free, he runs head first at defensive linemen who see him coming. Yeah. But he got more than he needed. But he they got can't like two stop three him. Yards. They can't stop him. Neither can the linebacker behind him. Yeah, because he holds up. The safety comes running in and tries to swat the ball out of his hands. And he says, fuck you. I'm Josh Allen. And then he gets up and he, Chris, he's emphatic about that first down. And we steamrolled from that point forward. That's who our quarterback is. That's why he wears the C. Because he's that guy. So we put it up to a Twitter poll. We put all of these plays up to a vote. Chris, the results, 83.3% of people said that the missed sack on Watson was the worst play of the season. Watson, pressure off the edge. Watson survives it. And then checks down to Jones. Jones inside the 40, inside the 30, inside the 20, to the 10-yard line, Taiwan Jones. God, that is hard. That is hard to swallow. But it's made so much better by this. Yeah, fourth and a foot. And a mishandle on the snap. Allen picks it up, and he's still going. Look at Josh Allen. Oh, my goodness. Honestly, this is why his teammates love him, though. He is a football player through and through. Oh, 60.5% of people on Twitter said that Josh's fourth down run against Dallas was the number one play. And the Buffalo Bills website agrees because it's their top play for the season as well. I mean, Chris, there there wasn't a better embodiment of who our quarterback is as an athlete. No? No, that was the play of the year, fourth down. <laughs> I mean, we've got some honorable mentions here. We've got the uh, Singletary touchdown pass against Dallas. That was big. In fact, Singletary threw almost a perfect spiral. I mean, uh, John Brown threw almost a perfect spiral. Yeah. (laughs) And then he did it again in the playoff game. And then Brown's first down reception, which Reed talked about earlier, against the Pittsburgh during Renegade, when when their fans were in full throat. And thought that, hey, okay, this is our defense's chance. Let's get them pumped up. And we just racked him. <laughs> we just racked him right there in one play. Oh, that was a moment there. <sighs> so moving on. Best press conference and interview moments. Chris, Clearly, it's anything that comes out of Sean McDermott's mouth. <laughs> Chris. I mean, he gives you so much information to write articles, to talk about on podcasts, on WGR. <laughs> I mean, the man's brilliant at interviewing. Chris, you and I both know that his his it's, it's almost fucking ambient. It's it's Bilicekian the way he the way he approaches the media. No, I'd argue the best thing that we heard this year in a press conference was Josh Allen correcting the media on the fact that there really is only one team in New York. Yeah. There was the after Bills. the Giants game, week three. Yeah. Week the Bills. Two. <laughs> Only team in New York. <coughs> Don't he even, even forget it. And he even winked at the guy. 
He pointed and winked at him. Do you know how condescending that is? The guy deserved it, too. I fucking love it. Now, Chris, I'm going to ask you to dig into something painful here. For you, personally, the most disappointing loss of the season. How could it not be Cleveland? I mean, we get that anytime we play Cleveland, we have games like that. It's horseshit. Should have won that game. See, I think I'm just so numb from Cleveland. Just playing Cleveland over the years and just having it be a shit show, which that game was. Let's, I guess I give that kind of a pass, almost. That's a game that was going to end poorly even if we won. For me, it comes down to the Buffalo Bills versus New England 2.0 in New England. See, I'm numb to this. We had a fourth quarter lead in Foxborough for the first time in forever. We had them. And because of some really poor tackling and just simple execution mistakes, we ended up losing the lead and inevitably the game. A game that we we were being outplayed in and yet still finding a way to outscore the Patriots. Chris, if we could have ever, for three drives, both defensive and offensive, just pulled our shit together, we walk out of Foxborough winners. For me, that's the most disappointing thing this season. On the flip side of that coin, you're most, the most exciting win. For you, Chris, what do you got? No question. It's Dallas. That changed our season. That fourth down play. Everybody was watching that game. Dallas didn't have a chance after that first drive. To win that game. And it changed the rest the rest of our season. And it's probably one of the reasons why we got on Sunday Night Football. It could be. Now see, that's my, that's my pick for most exciting win. The Bills versus Pittsburgh on Sunday Night Football. It wasn't just because we clinched the playoffs for the first time in years. Or that it was a primetime football game in front of the whole country. It was the way our team walked into a must-win game against a team with a ridiculous amount of defensive talent and a hot offense, and never at any point looked like they were fighting out of their weight class. Chris, they showed up into a game with a playoff, another playoff contender, and said, fuck you, we're better. Double middles. Double middles, laughing, walking away. Our stars shined the way star players are supposed to. And our young quarterback responded the way that you want him to to adversity. Chris, That play, the moment that Josh Allen, they dial up that play-action pass. The stadium's going nuts. They they complete that 40-yarder, and it just goes quiet. And then three plays later, we're in the end zone. And you see Josh Allen just winking at people, shooting finger guns. That's my guy. That's our star players played like stars. And then when the defense, Chris, like I said, you expect us to blow that. Oh, hey, they have the ball. They're marching down the field. Ah, They're going to get close to scoring a touchdown and tying the game, maybe even going for two and taking the lead. Nope. Pick City, population, Duck Hodges. Why? Because this team's stars answered the bell. Chris, you can't discount the fact that that was one of the games where this team put itself on the map and said, look, we are no longer mediocre. You put us in the you put us in Thunderdome with another mediocre football team. Yeah, plus that was our. We're first. not the worst, but we're not the best. But we're here. We're in this wild card discussion. You put us in the Thunderdome with another mediocre football team, and we got them. You want to know why? Because we're better than they are. Yeah, it was our first win in Pittsburgh since '75, uh, 
and I think the way I think the way our quote unquote prime time games worked out. I mean, you throw Dallas in there because Thanksgiving, the, moving to Sunday night, and then we had the Patriots game on NFL Network. Uh, we smashed some uh, ratings records for the specific networks. That's what I love about games. this. So that's why I think... This Sunday Night Football game, the whole country, the whole country, not only did we break viewership records, but a record number of viewers got to watch us in that moment when he throws that pass to Smoke Brown. 40 yards. It's like the right hook from Mike Tyson to Michael Spinks. Bang! Down he goes. That's it. You're done. It's a wrap. Fuck you on national television. It, it will go down as one of my favorite games. Maybe yeah. ever. Yeah, I think all those ratings, uh, the ratings that we set, I think we're going to end up getting two primetime games next year, one on the road and one at home. All right, Chris. And so with that, we move on from games to players. I want to talk about the players that we have on this roster. From 2019, this year's most exciting rookie. The award this year for me goes to running back Devin Singletary. I mean, Chris, the 2019 draft class, it, it was one of high upside projects. I mean, Oliver, he, he had a exciting athletic traits. But you knew he was going to take some time. He was going to need some acclimation given his size. The fact that he was smaller and he needed time to learn how to translate speed to power. Cody Ford was an offensive tackle who showed us in the preseason that he couldn't deal with speed. Remember in the Carolina game when he almost got Josh Allen killed on back-to-back snaps? Correct. He needed some technical refinement, but he had power and tenacity that was just too promising for Bean to pass up. And then you had Knox, who only caught 18 passes his final his final year of college. So no one really knows what his ceiling is and or how much work would be necessary to take how much work was going to be necessary to take that and translate it to the NFL field. And then you then you have Devin Singletary. Chris, there's a famous picture of me over <laughs> from our draft panel over at Rock Sports Network with my head on the table and my tablet flipped over. I thought the pick of Devin Singletary was a missed opportunity for the Buffalo Bills at the time. I mean, what sense did it make with an aging backfield to draft a diminutive running back that clearly wasn't meant to be a quote-unquote bell cow? What could a guy that small ever do for us, Chris? What? Well, he probably could have led us to a playoff win if our (laughs) offensive coordinator decided to use him. A rundown for you guys out there listening, the things that he did for us in 2019. 20 broken tackles. Led the team in yards after contact with 362, despite Gore's hard running style. I mean, think about it. Chris, Frank Gore is a much bigger running back than him. Much more powerful. And yet he outpaced him. 16th in the NFL in yards per game despite splitting time with Frank Gore. And he was the only running back in the top 20 for yards per game with only eight games, quote-unquote, started and just 12 total games. Chris, he played some the fewest number of snaps amongst all of the leading running backs, and yet he was right there with some of the best in terms of yards per game. 
He was third on the team in first downs achieved with 42 behind John Brown, who's our number one wide receiver, and Josh Allen, who's a frigging quarterback. He was, Chris, I could give you all the numbers in the world, but he was one of the most explosive players for our offense all season long. And it paced the it paced our offense. And it, it's he is one of the reasons that we were allowed to stick in games. I mean, everyone talks about Josh Allen in the fourth quarter this year. None of that happens if, jo- if Devin Singletary isn't keeping the ball moving on the ground, isn't keeping us in football games, even if it's just to play field position. He was an incredible find for me, home run of a rookie pick. What about you, Chris? What do you got? Dawson Knox, and it's simple. That Cincinnati play where he just trucked that DB, and because we had a Seagram's bet that anytime he is the hero, <laughs> you have to drink a Seagram's, So, and you had to drink a Seagram's for that. So, so because he made me drink a Seagram's, he's your MVP? Yeah, as for a rookie. That's hilarious. Yeah, because I predicted that in April when we had Nate Geary on for our post-draft show, and he kind of talked me into Dawson Knox potentially being good that I put a lifer bet on you of hero and zero. Anytime Dawson Knox is your hero of the game, you're drinking the Seagrams. You got him as a zero, I'm drinking the Seagrams. Most surprising veteran performance. Chris, who did you have? I mean, how could you not go with Lorenzo Alexander? <sighs> you have to. You have to give it to the Lorax. Chris, for a 36-year-old linebacker who was in his final season, you almost feel like that's a guy who should be coasting, right? Yeah. I mean, you're a guy doing your fill. If you worked in an office, you'd be doing the farewell tour. You'd be pawning your work off on people around you. You'd be kind of just going through the motions right up until you got your plaque or your award or whatever the fuck it was before they let you walk out the door. Instead, Lorenzo chose to leave it out there all in the field. He finished the season in the top 10 on the roster for tackles despite not playing in our nickel packages. He finishes with two sacks, one forced fumble. Chris, he finished second on the team in missed tackle percentage. Which is crazy, considering that he's 36 years old, and everybody under him is younger, more athletic, faster. And he really showed up in big games, like that Baltimore game. Chris, I spent that whole week Pegging him as the weak link in our front seven. I said the reason that we won't be able to contain the Baltimore running offense is because of Lorenzo Alexander. He's too old. He can't be trusted. He's just not an impact player, and he's a liability in space. And instead, he's the thing that he's the glue that held our front seven together in that game. I Chris, a guy his age. Balling out at the end of a season like that? Tell me that isn't special. Special. Best single game performance. Chris, was there another one bigger than Trey White on Sunday Night Football? Uh, I don't think so. He had, no, a, he had a, lot of, a lot of interceptions. Two interceptions. Two interceptions. Strong coverage all day. It's I, Honestly, Chris, I don't think he makes the Pro Bowl or an All-Pro selection without that game. That's what solidified him on national TV, where you can't not... Chris, one of the biggest knocks on him throughout his career, did he not, as a rookie, seem like he deserved to be in the conversation 
for defensive player of the year. Correct. Rook, defensive rookie of the year. Correct. I mean, he's, he's never really gotten uh, Last na- national media praise. No. So then, on the biggest stage, when the lights are the brightest and you know everyone in the country has no choice but to watch you, he put on a fucking show. I'm sorry. He put his big meaties on the chopping block and told everybody, listen, I'm out here. I'm out here. What do you want to do about it? Chris, it was one of the most impressive games I've seen from a Bills player in prime time in a long time. It. Oh, how do you not love Trey White? How do you not love that guy? Best single game performance of the year. Biggest regression from last year to this year, Chris. Who do you got? Uh, it's still Seagram's motivated. It's uh, Bob uh, Bob Foster. Mm. He had three catches. I assumed, oh, we have Cole Beasley. We have John Brown as free agents. Okay, are we going to run a bunch of four wide sets with Foster and Brown on the outside and Beasley and Zay Jones working the slot? Nope. Bob Foster was fucking garbage this year. <sighs> garbage. Chris, as much as I want to agree with you, one of the guys you just mentioned is still on the team. And one of the guys you just mentioned is on the fucking Raiders right now. For me, biggest regression belongs to Zay Jones. Now, I understand why you'd feel that Foster was the bigger disappointment, but let me give you some dubious numbers on Zay Jones. He caught fewer than 50% of his targets. He had the second lowest yards before completion of any wide receiver not named Cole Beasley, which underscores essentially that he wasn't running deep routes. (laughs) He was essentially just trying to run quick, short shit to get himself open because the team was like, okay, if if you're not fast... If you don't have deep speed, then we're going to try to maybe use you as a short possession receiver. And he even failed at that. Because even though he had lower he had, he had lower yards before completion than Cole Beasley, Cole Beasley had twice as many yards after the catch. Twice as many. Just through the five games that he was actually on the roster. And then, despite being declared a starter for one more game than rookie tight end Tommy Sweeney, Sweeney finished 2019 with 45 yards more receiving, one more catch, (laughs) more yards, (laughs) what is it, uh, more yards before the catch and yards after the catch and the same number of first downs. You got outplayed by a seventh round rookie tight end. Fuck you. I can't believe was that it, they, that what, they didn't what? get rid of I can't believe that they got a pick back for him. Was it, wasn't his thing coming out of college that he's <laughs> that he's a short, short hands? No, like, short-handed. Short, yeah. Short-handed as they come. Yeah, he's like, he's like the Roberto Aguayo of wide receivers. Because that was his thing in college. I you dusted catch. that one off. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Roberto Guayo couldn't miss a kick in college, and then he gets to the NFL and misses everything. Jesus. They could catch everything in college. He can't catch shit in the pros. Guys, the fact that we got a pick for him makes us winners in this. But with his trade, the stink of the wide receiver groups gone by is fully gone from the roster. And hopefully by the time training camp rolls around next year, 
we're going to be looking at something that looks more like an actual NFL wide receiving core. Thank God. Now, biggest bounce back performance, Chris, who do you got? Uh, I probably agree with you here of uh, Shaq Lawson. Dude, how do you not love what Shaq Lawson did this year? The dude found his balls. To me, he was, well, what is it, Major League Two? Major League Two, where uh, the black guy who played president on 24 was walk, running the bases going, huevos. Oh, uh, Pedro Serrano. <laughs> yeah, Pedro Serrano, baby. Shaq Lawson was that guy this year. He finally got it. It clicked. It All this time of him trying to be an outside linebacker, converted to 4-3 D-end, just, it took some time. But he was healthy, and it finally started to happen. It's not not that um, surprising that, I mean, it happens in all sports where you have somebody in a contract year, and they fucking ball out in their contract year. Because, you know, last year, you know, we declined to pick up his fifth-year option, and it... (coughs) I think most of most of the fans of the Bills were, uh, that's fine. I mean, he hasn't been anything special, you know. He's more bust than boom. Now, and you're and he he's playing himself into a contract. Now, Chris, since you're a uh, since you're a hockey fan, is this a Drew Stafford yes. situation, or do yes. you feel like he's maybe the real deal? I think it could, I think it's going to be Drew Stafford because he can play his way into a contract. But what if he goes to a team that doesn't know how to utilize his strengths? Then he's just getting paid, which is probably what he wants. I don't know. I'd love to have that kind of money. Of course you would. Then you can fix your stupid haircut. Look sexy. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever lies your girlfriend's telling you, good Lord. Chris, player we're most excited about heading into 2020, not named Josh Allen. I kind of leaned more towards... Interesting, more than excited, and I'm gonna go with Harrison Phillips. How's he gonna recover? Ooh, that's a good one. How's he gonna come back from that ACL tear? What's the defensive tackle room gonna look like? Is Jordan Phillips here? Are we gonna draft a defensive tackle in the fourth to seventh round as precautionary? What if he doesn't come back from his ACL tear? Because he's already had one before. He had one in college. I'm just interested to see how that, how he plays out and then our defensive tackle room as a whole. For me, Chris, it's Ed Oliver. Ed Oliver has me salivating heading into 2020. I mean, he started 2019 slow. And Chris, did I, did, did I or did I not spend a lot of the offseason talking about how you can't force this kid into starting snaps? He needs time to figure out how to translate speed to power because he's a small guy. He's been taking on offensive lines like Rice and what? Uh, who else did he play? I don't know. Whoever UTEP. Houston, yeah. And, <laughs> whoever Houston plays. But I think I think it was his season was a lot different than most you know first round rookies because I can remember uh, Kiko Alonso's rookie year where he came out and balled at the start. And then he hit the wall. <laughs> like, you remember that game against Tampa where he missed that tackle and then it was an 80-yard touchdown 80-yard right? touchdown right off the, right it was, the first snap. Ed Oliver was, I think, the complete opposite of that. He started off slow and finished strong. So well, Chris I Slow can, doesn't even doesn't do it justice. His first five games, zero sacks, two quarterback hits, zero tackles for a loss, only six tackles. 
but he played 59% or more of the snaps in every single game. They made him a starter out of the gate, and he, he floundered. After they scaled back his snaps, he seemed to settle in a little bit and allowed him to grow behind that veteran depth, and that's right about the time that Jordan Phillips started to flash. After being kept completely off the stat sheet against Cleveland, he's just got zeros across the board in Week 10. After playing only 33% of the snaps, he went on a fucking tear that peaked in that dominating performance against Dallas. Chris, tell me he wasn't one of the more... He was one of our factors in winning that football game. Yeah, that is true. It fueled some amazing play down the stretch. He played well into the postseason. It's almost like he needed that first part of the year to really find himself. But I feel like the team did him a disservice by throwing him out there before he was ready. But then he came on late in the year to play against good offensive lines like Pittsburgh and Baltimore. All of us were surprised to see, Chris, our front seven do as well as they did. Oliver was a big part of that. It didn't go unnoticed nationally. Oliver was named to NFL.com's all-rookie team. And while obviously he's not going to get the same shine as number two overall pick Nick Bosa, to even be included in that group is an honor. I mean, Chris, he didn't. he's not a pro bowler. He's no, not a defensive not rookie yet. of the year candidate. Not yet. But the fact that people recognize that young D-tackle has, has some, he's got some bite to his game. Already, that's impressive. With another offseason, Chris, in this strength and conditioning program, and another year to kind of figure out that transition that I keep talking about, speed to power, it's not easy. When you're a lineman, you have guys who have get-off, and they survive on that. They attack a gap. And they get there so quickly that the the opposing offensive linemen just can't close it fast enough. And that's how they make their bones. You have guys who win with just power. He's learning how to do both. You saw it. You saw flashes of both down the stretch this season. This offseason is going to be on him to grow. But I can't wait to see what he shows up with next season. Chris, after a full year of... Now knowing what he's up against, being able to hone his craft. Well, this year he knows who he plays for, so he knows how the team is going to use him so he can specifically target his areas of weakness to strengthen. And he's, plus he's not you know, making the rounds, all those pre-draft visits and <laughs> exactly. doing, doing all that stuff because he doesn't know who he's playing. He didn't know who he was playing for. Now he's here. We probably gave him a list of things that he needs to work on, and he's going to come back much improved. Uh, in April when they come back for OTAs. Now, during the regular season, we give away a hero and zero every every single week. This this week, we have our defensive and offensive least valuable player and most valuable player for the LVPs. <laughs> wow, you suck at this. On offense, Chris, who do you have? Um... I kind of went with somebody we really didn't use, and I think it's uh, T.J. Yeldon. He was scratched for a lot of the, a lot of games. Uh, he, he played against the Jets starters in Week 17 and did all right. It would have been nice to see how Daybol could have used him and Singletary 
in uh, two-back sets, if that's a thing in Dable's off offense. I don't know. I just watch the games. I don't study it like you do. Okay. I can appreciate that, Chris, but I have one far more egregious. Far more egregious. And before I lose my voice completely, I have to get this off my chest. I'm opening another Seagram's, Chris. One of the many Seagram's that I still owe. Why? I saved it to talk to talk about this guy because he already cost me one this year. This one goes out to my wife. This Seagram's is because my wife bet me that the podium that we built would not actually leave the house this year, even though we built it to be mobile. Chris, we dropped the ball on this. No, you dropped the ball on that. I totally agreed with her. She <laughs> said something to me at the beginning of the season. Oh, I made a Seagram's bet with him that this wouldn't leave the garage. I'm like, it's not leaving the garage. He's an idiot. <sighs> We're taking this show on the road. Except we didn't. Honey, if you're at home listening, you're right. Your sick husband is, at, is here chugging a Seagram's, and this is for you. But my LVP of the season goes to Robert Foster. You son of a bitch. I'd fist fight. (laughs) You were going to fist fight Aaron Quinn at Deep South Taco over this. (laughs) Oh, my God, I was. This fucking guy. I had to drink a fucking Seagram's because of Foster. And I wouldn't be so disappointed if it was close, Chris. But come on. What are you doing to me here? Last season, Foster was a relative unknown who came in mid-season, provided us with a, I don't know, an inconsistent deep option. The catch against Jacksonville? You assumed that you could hone what he brought to the table and make him a viable threat. Instead, what we saw might be one of the most precipitous declines from one year to the next of any player I've ever watched. Chris, 2018, 13 games, 27 receptions, 541 yards, three touchdowns, 12.3 yards per target. 2019, 13 games, three receptions, 64 yards, no touches, 3.6 yards per target. Chris, I don't give a fuck that he's a special, oh, he's a standout special teamer. That's a neat little silver lining. Why don't you tell that to this disgusting Seagram's I'm drinking? When is the last time that a player on an NFL team went from a decent season where you thought he might be a useful player to practically invisible? I don't know. I can't remember. Nobody? No. Nobody comes to mind. Like to have a drop-off like this. I mean, Chris... I can't remember one. I can't. And maybe that's because of the booze, but I don't think so. I don't think anyone has sucked this much from one season to the next. Maybe Carlos Williams. He played himself out of the league. He's, he smoked and ate himself out of the league is what he did. Delicious. <laughs> so with that, Robert Foster's my guy. And on the defensive side of the ball, Chris, do you have anybody? On the defensive side of the ball? Um... I don't know, maybe Levi Wallace because he gave up two touchdowns against Cleveland, you ass. He's covering Landry and Beckham. What I do don't give watch? a shit. It's Cleveland. <laughs> Fix it. I picked defensive end Trent Murphy. I mean, I know that there's a whole lot of people out there shocked that Starla Tule isn't getting bashed on this podcast. 
I'm sorry, the dude didn't have any competition for what he did after Harrison Phillip got hurt. So I, I, I can't hold it against him because I don't have anything to measure him against. Meanwhile, Trent Murphy. I can't let recency bias kill this. I know everybody out there right now who watched that playoff game is thinking Trent Murphy's a great player. <laughs> In truth, he did have one hell of a game against Houston in the wildcard round. But aside from that, everything else he did was pretty much ass. I mean, for defensive ends, the low-hanging fruit would be to just look at sack numbers. But considering he had five, my issues are far deeper than that. I look at consistency. The first four games of this season, he had three tackles, none of them solo, zero tackles for loss, zero sacks, zero quarterback hits. Chris, do you think we could have used a hand up front? Yeah, probably. In our five regular season losses, when our starters actually played, not counting the the Jets game, he had zero sacks, one tackle for a loss, three quarterback hits, Zero turnovers forced, and an average of 66% of the total snaps. Chris, he was out, he was mostly rotated with Shaq Lawson. Shaq played one fewer game than Murphy all year, but surpassed him in every single statistical category. That's, it's embarrassing to know that we paid him just a million less than it would have cost us to pay Shaq on his fifth-year option. I, he's not a bad player. He's just not good enough to be a de facto starter on this team. He's just not good enough, and it's not good enough to see more than 65 to 70, 70% of the snaps. I mean, if, you're not, if, you, if you plan on having a truly dominant defensive line, Trent Murphy is a backup caliber player, correct? Uh, I guess so at this point in his career. I mean, he's got, what, one year left? If that. Well, he's got a three-year deal, I believe. No? Well, he does. We could buy him out for $1 million this year. 1.6, I believe. The fact is, I got more bang for my buck out of his backup. A guy making $3 million. So I'm sorry, if that's not a failure, I don't know what is. And then, Chris, that brings us to our MVPs of the season. Here's the deal. I'm the best there is, plain and simple. I mean, I wake up in the morning, I piss excellence. You know who pisses excellence? Cornerback Trey White. Chris, can you argue with me that on the defensive side of the ball, nobody did it better this year? No, he was our best defensive player by far. Wasn't even close. I mean, we've all known for years that White was a star in the making, but this was the first year that the whole world got to see it. He set career first for himself. Highs and interceptions, pass breakups, his first Pro Bowl, and All-Pro selections. He was absurdly integral to this defense, routinely grounding whoever the opponent's biggest aerial threats were. But he's not the most biggest or most physical defensive back in the NFL. It's just that his technique is incredible. He's, he's always focused. He's a willing tackler. And his personality, Chris, that kind of goofy, just bubbly. Trey White Goalie Academy. (laughs) The fact that he introduced himself on Sunday Night Football. Trey White, Trey White Goalie Academy. (laughs) That personality, I think it allows him to stay focused, but incredibly loose 
throughout every single snap of the game. I mean, Chris, each week you watch him go out there and he makes impact plays. And yet late in those very close, very tense games, you see him having light moments. He's dancing during a timeout. Or reading another team's play sheet. Just jokingly reading another team's play sheet. He's dancing on the benches in Dallas. I mean, you see this. And yet when he gets on the field, he's 100% focused. Chris, that's what makes him special. He's an athlete that's so talented that he can go out there and have a blast. Just being great at what he does. Knowing that he's so focused from one play to the next that when he feels like cutting loose and celebrating a little bit, it's almost like, Chris, like when you watch the players around him, his attitude, that looseness but that focus, it's infectious. You watch teammates feed off of him. Tell me that isn't a tangible thing. It is. Dude, it's, it's incredible, and that's what I want from my star players. Know you're good and let that confidence infect the guys around you. Make them want to enjoy the biggest moments in things. And yet, enjoy them so much that you're willing to work harder to have more of them. That's it. The dude is a stud. And Chris, raise your glass. I have a little beer left. I can't believe that I ever complained that we traded back and drafted Trey White. I repent. On the offensive side of the ball, Chris, who do you have as your MVP of the year? Uh, I'd have to go with Devin Singletary because coming into the season, I didn't know what our running game was going to be knowing that we cut LaShawn McCoy and we have another guy that should be in a retirement home, Frank Gore, (laughs) and then we don't know what we were going to do with uh, TJ Eldon, because that was like a late signing. So it was an old man and then this rookie. And this rookie balled out. I don't think Frank Gore is going to be here next year. <clears throat> Same thing with Yeldon. So that's going to be something we hit on in the draft and or free agency. But going forward, Singletary is going to be the number one. And I like it. I almost want to agree with you. But I had to give mine to wide receiver John Brown. I'm going to throw some numbers at you, Chris, just to underscore why he's the obvious choice here for me. 855. That's the number of yards passes traveled in the air before being caught by Brown this season. Illustrating not only that much of his 1,060 yards was more, quote-unquote, in-route yardage rather than yards after the catch, but that it's the first time Josh Allen had a wide receiver that could get open beyond the sticks and he utilized it perfectly. To put that 855 into perspective, Chris, last season's leader in yards before the catch was Zay Jones with 510. The difference is a whole football field's worth of extra yardage. Just on successful routes run by our newly added wide receiver. All of the route running helped Ellen grow in terms of learning how to throw different routes. Chris, you saw him making passes this year that you never saw from him before. Why? Because they brought in talent that could execute it. I argue that Josh Allen, this proves, Josh Allen will continue to prove if you give him talent around him. John Brown 
had the best a career high in terms of yardage, in terms of receptions. The dude balled out. 4.3. That's John Brown's drop percentage. The lowest on the Bills roster. Considering his team leading 115 targets, Chris, tell me that's not impressive. Impressive. You get thrown at more than anybody, and yet you have the, the smallest number of drops. 53. That's the number of first downs Brown achieved. 33% of all receiving first downs and 19% of every first down this team got point blank in period. He's one-fifth of every first down this team achieved in 2019. If that doesn't deserve an award, I don't know what does. Yeah, he's 111th doing one-fifth of the offense. And that's what I love. Everyone talks about doing their 111th, but there's very clearly some guys who do more. John Brown's one of those guys. If there was a runner-up here, I would give it to John Feliciano. Chris, do you remember his cartwheel fumble recovery? Yes, that was about as almost impressive as when I watched him pump gas over by the stadium. <laughs> All I know is that John Feliciano came in here. Was he a star? No. But when you look at the signings across the offensive line, he was probably the least heralded of all of them. But he was probably my favorite because when the Raiders lost him to us, the fans were incensed because they said that there was no way that they'd be able to replace his bouncer mentality, quote unquote, for protecting their quarterback. And I, Chris, when I read that, I was thrilled because it was like, okay, we're going to have a guy who brings a little bit, a little bit of sandpaper to the way our offensive line operates. Watching him play was great because that's how he approached every single game. I mean, ultimately, he was, he, it makes me think of incognito, except without all the mental illness and racial slurs. That's it. That's what, that's what he brought to our offensive line. And so for that, I'm willing to give him a runner up. Cheers, sir. Cheers. <sighs> so then, guys. What lies ahead for the Buffalo Bills in the 2020 offseason? That's it. The season is in the books. The cover is closed. And we here at the Rock Power Report are going to put it on the shelf. Chris, we're done talking about it. But we have to ask ourselves, what's next for this football team? Buckle up, because even though no one is going to be cheering at the stadium or drinking in the parking lot every single weekend, well, I mean, at least most of you won't be. There's still plenty on the horizon in the coming months. We're entering what might be the most crucial offseason the Buffalo Bills have had in years. Chris, the importance of this offseason. You feel like you're on the precipice of something. If you can just make the right moves, the right tweaks to this roster, we could go from being wild card contender to something better than that correct? Yes. How excited are you for that? Yeah. I'm Does excited. it make you nervous thinking about that prospect? Like this is a make or break off season. It is. We got a lot of, uh, a couple of holes to fill <coughs> some, some areas that need gelling, but we're in a good spot going forward. When it comes to how the team plans on moving forward, Brandon Bean had this to say in his seasoning presser. 
Yeah, I don't think I don't think we're looking at an overhaul. I think last year, offensively, was an overhaul. Uh, to your point, Chris. Um, but uh, we are going to look, you know, under every rock to to find uh, competition and upgrades where where we can. And um, but we're going to still. My philosophy's not changed. We've got to draft, develop, and sign our guys. And we're now getting into the area where. You know, guys that have been here three years are up for contracts. We have some guys that, you know, that we claimed that are free agents. Um, so all those discussions will commence here real soon as to guys that are potential free agents. Do we want them back? And then can we work it out with them and their, their agent to come to an agreement on, on financial terms? Yeah, I do think. You know, and that's, that was my point to Vic earlier is um, – you know, when he mentioned receiver, we're we're a lot of positions away that we've got to clean up or answer. Whether it's re-signing a free agent, some of the guys you mentioned, um, some guys that are are aging, uh, we do want to continue to get young. We added some young guys last year uh, in Ed Oliver and um, Harrison Phillips will come back as a young player. I know everybody probably forgets about him because he got injured early in the year, and then you know Daryl Johnson, um, I thought did some really good things. Didn't get as many reps being the fourth guy, but, uh, you know, showed some promise. And I think a year, you know, just him growing and learning, I think he'll he'll offer more next year. Um, but, yeah, we, we do have to pay attention to that. We believe in being strong up front, Sal, so um, we'll, we'll definitely have to pay attention. That is Brandon Bean from a season-ending presser. You can find that at buffalobills.com. Now, guys, from that, a few, from what he just said there, a few things are clear to me. First of all, anyone expecting a repeat of last offseason's shopping spree simply because we have 90-plus million dollars in cap space, you're going to end up disappointed. Last year's team had to reestablish a baseline of talent, and they spent wisely in the pursuit of doing so. Now it's time to build subtly off of that. By restating his philosophy on how he intends to build a roster, finding young talent, and cultivating it, letting it grow before paying a premium for it, it's to serve as a precursor for the bargain hunting that is that's probably on the horizon. And for anybody worried about that, remember that this is even possible. The only reason, Chris, that this is possible is because Brandon Bean was such a gangster with the way that he structured all of the deals that he signed last offseason. Think about it. How many of these guys have one-year or two-year out clauses that the team can just... Almost all of them. I mean, that's it. But at the same time, everyone we signed last year is back on team-friendly contracts. So for a team that just willed its way to the playoffs, now you're talking about going into an offseason where you have to just add pieces. You don't have to overhaul. But you still have almost $100 million in space. That's incredibly impressive. And I want to see what he's going to do with that money. Ultimately, I mean, Chris, you think about it. We have flexibility, which is something that this team hasn't had in forever. I mean, the example I'll give you, if Sweeney and Knox prove themselves to be a better fit than either Croft or Lee Smith... Either one of the latter can be removed from the roster for less than $2 million in dead cap. 
That's how you build a cost-effective football team. You draft talented players. You, you, you make sure you have starters. You draft to backfill those positions and you groom them. Because they're cost-controlled for years. And if these free agents ever get to a point where they're being outperformed by their competition, you cut them and you allocate those financial resources elsewhere. Also, the fact that Bean specifically mentions players like Harrison Phillips and the pterodactyl underscore that he has every intention of allowing the youth on this team to prove itself before he spends extravagantly at every single position on the roster. I mean, I've heard people out there talking about how Yannick Ngakwe, how that's the guy, that's the guy with the Bills have to go get him. Nate Geary on this podcast last week. Well, I'll tell you what. I don't think they're going to do that. I think what they'd do is they'd say, okay, we have a guy in Shaq Lawson who's been here, who knows these players, who's earned it, and we want to send a message. I, Chris, mark my words, I see them re-signing him rather than going out and swinging for the fences and free agency on the D-line. I've also already heard people talking on social media about the Bills going out and acquiring another tight end in the offseason. It's fucking ridiculous. Like Gesicki from Miami, talking about Hunter Henry from the Chargers. The fact is they're far more likely to give a guy like Sweeney a chance than overpaying a guy like Lee Smith or Croft. That's just how they operate. Think about it. Chris, that's how they've done things since they got here. They're willing to give young players a chance. And especially guys they drafted, who they think that they can cultivate. Ultimately, the free agent market, Chris, when you look at it at a lot of positions where fans seem to think that we're going to spend a ton of cash. Chris, what two come to mind right now? Two places that Bills fans want to spend money the most. Uh, I think sign every wide receiver that's over 6'3", and draft every wide receiver that's over 6'3". Okay, so money between the Ngalkwe thing and between the wide receiver trend. Everybody feels like, oh, you can just go out and buy this guy, buy that guy, buy the... Okay, so according to Spotrek.com right now, Amari Cooper is going to command a salary somewhere around $19.7 million a year. He's going to set the market. A.J. Green, at 31 years old, fresh off of a season-ending injury. Chris, he never played. He never played. Not once this season did he touch the field. Plus, he's on the north side of 30, right? Yep. He's going to command over $9 million a year. If that's the case, Chris, I I feel like this team would be better served going into the draft. Looking to address that. And when I look at the defensive line, people out there who talk about, who are the Bills going to sign up front? What are they going to do? I see a defensive line free agent class where our two free agents... And Jordan Phillips and Shaq Lawson are not only two of the youngest players available on the unrestricted free agent market, but they also have the value of having been here for multiple years in this system. Chris, how valuable is that? It is valuable, but I don't. I think we'll keep Shaq. I'm not sure Jordan Phillips will be here. 
It's going to be incredibly interesting to watch how this all plays out. And we have a lot out in front of us. I mean, Chris, look at all the important dates on the calendar right now for football. February 23rd through March 2nd, the NFL Combine. And size. Chris, there's nothing more I hate and size. than the Underwear Olympics. I'll bite the nose off the face of the man who brings up the size of some defensive lineman's hands to me personally like I should give a shit. That'd probably be Paul Wineski from Hashtag. I'll fight him. He loves the uh, Underwear Olympics. <clears throat> He's going to end up in your freezer, Chris. <laughs> March 10th, deadline for franchise tags. Chris, I don't even think we have any players worthy of being franchise tagged. Do I don't you? know what that means. I don't know how that works. On to the next. How do you not know how that means? I just don't. I franchise Jesus tag. Christ. Basic, to me, it's a one-year deal for an average of the top five salaries at said position. So you that, do know. that? Well, okay, but most of the time, those people don't deserve that kind of money. <laughs> So there's no one on the Bills roster that you see deserving. I don't even know who's up for the franchise tag. March 18th, the unrestricted free agency frenzy kicks off at 4 p.m. Last year, it was a wild time to be alive. Chris, do you remember that? Constantly refreshing Twitter. Yes. They were like, oh, the Bills, the Bills and the Jets were going both going after. What was that? Uh, what was that center's name? Oh, Jesus not Mitch, whoever the other... No, he ended up in Carolina. No, Ryan Khalil? <laughs> no. no. It wasn't Ryan Khalil. It was... No, it was the free agent set, Matt Paradis. Yes, Paradis. And everyone's like, oh, the Bills and the Jets are going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And all of a sudden, the Bills have signed Mitch Morse for, for 10 mil. <laughs> oh, it's all a bunch of nonsense. The wild times, though. It was exciting. But Brandon Bean's comments make it sound as if we should kind of temper our expectations in 2020. So with that, it's not so much the first wave of free agency that I'm worried about. It's that second and third wave. You know, they come right before the draft, come post-draft. That's where I'm looking. That's where I'm most interested. Because I, I feel like that's where the Bills are going to try to make moves. Then, April 23rd, my birthday, through April 25th, the NFL Draft. Chris, it falls on my birthday. The Bills had better give me a gift worth celebrating. Jesus. NFL draft on your birthday? It's like a <clears throat> dream. <clears throat> and so with that, there's a lot ahead of the Bills as a team, despite the season being over. And that means there's a ton ahead for us as a podcast. We've got our annual free agency and salary cap breakdown with Paul Wineski coming up. We've got our free agency preview on defense and offense. And then... Chris, I'm going to I'm going to attempt to keep my streak alive. What am I at? 4 years? I don't know. You're pretty the two that stick out were uh last year Ty and Secchi and uh way back when we started Zach Brown, linebacker. Listen, I've hit a free agent signing almost every single season this year on this podcast. Just under the radar UFA signings because I analyze need, the market and I compare my own cheapskate nature to just just the Jew mentality of Brandon Bean. <laughs> I just see him over there rubbing his hands together. That, that's how I picture him. It's, it's a phenomenal thing. I can't wait. I'm excited about it. And then we have our free agency recap and roundup, and we have our draft preview series. Chris, we br- everyone who listens to this show knows just how bad my draft day takes are. They're awful. <laughs> awful. 
how bad my re- I, Chris. I hated Milano. I was upset about Trey White. I, Chris Knox Singletary. Just uh, w- whenever you listen to Drew post draft show and he's just railing into somebody, that player's going to turn out just fine. <laughs> So considering that statement by Brandon Bean earlier, I think it's clear how important this is to the future of the Buffalo Bills. So we're going to be back every single week before the draft with with guests like Matt Waldman, Brett Coleman, uh, Ben Solak, and Michael Kist, and just that Patriots-loving son of a bitch, Mark Schofield. Some of the best and brightest from the NFL draft community. Just to give you guys a feeling of the landscape as we head into the draft. So as you can see, much like the Buffalo Bills, we're going to be extremely busy over here at the Rock Pile Report over the next few months. And like the team, we've got a vision for how to produce something fantastic. Let's hope they're as good as executing their end of the deal as we are at executing ours. Because, Chris, our podcast is fucking fantastic. <laughs> exactly. Guys, go follow us on Twitter at Rock Pile Report. Uh, if, you wanna, if you use Instagram and you want to follow my comedy comedy stuff that I go to at the Rockpile Report. We also got links down in the description to Lorenzo's Aces Foundation and then also for Reed's brother Blake, the JDRF Foundation for Juvenile Diabetes. You Guys. couldn't have said that anymore like someone died. Well, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> Your voice died throughout this whole show. So. It did. Folks, I'm fading. I'm losing it. Chris is losing it. We got to get the fuck out of here. Thank you so much for showing up for an entire season. The most successful season of the Rock Pile Report ever. Up and onwards, folks. Bigger and brighter. That's what we're always looking for, right? We promise to bring you that in the upcoming season. But right now, we got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger, and this has been the Rock Power Report. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua, and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter, and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.